Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Boston Sanctuary since 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the Boston metropolitan area and beyond. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. We're located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. I learned Pete Seeger's songs at Girl Scout camp, circled around a campfire, singing late into the starry New Hampshire summer nights. Our counselors had learned them at anti-war rallies, We went on to sing them in anti-nuclear demonstrations. Rulers, Plato said, should be careful about what songs are allowed to be sung. Folk music in Pete Seeger's hands meant singing truth to power. No mere mirror of his times, Pete's music shaped the times by shaping minds and opening hearts. Having provided the soundtrack to the better part of a century, Pete sang right up until the end. His last public appearance was with Arlo Guthrie on November 30th at no less than Carnegie Hall. Pete Seeger died this past Monday. He was 94 years old. Pete's mother, Constance, was a violinist. His father, Charles, a pianist. Pete was sent to boarding school at the age of four. As a teenager, he discovered jazz and folk music and five-string banjo. His parents divorced. He was close to his father, who became a professor and then chair of his department at Berkeley while still in his 20s. As a folklorist, Charles Seeger loved to travel to small towns to record traditional songs that were in danger of being lost. Songs he contended that were real American music, reflecting the homegrown values and mores of the country. Music with the power to recall the country to its authentic national identity at a time of crisis and tumult. In the summer of 1936, father and son drove through the Blue Ridge and Smoky Mountains. Pete wrote, I discovered that there was some good music in my country that I had never heard on the radio. I liked the strident vocal tone of the singers. The words of the song had all the meat of life in them. Back at his father's home, he listened to recordings from the Library of Congress, hour upon hour, slowing the turntable with his finger so he could catch every note, every word. He was entirely self-taught. That fall, he entered Harvard. In 1938, at 18 years old, Pete Seeger stood by the steps of Widener Library at the edge of Harvard Yard. John Kennedy was there, and the poet Robert Lowell. And Pete's blood was as blue as theirs, far bluer, in fact, than the Irish Kennedys. But Pete was bored. His friends were the radical, self-appointed champions of the underdog, the Young Communist League. He should have been in class. 
But didn't his classmates realize that aggressive fascists were crushing freedom, not just in Spain, but across the globe? In Europe, the Germans were goose-stepping their way through Austria, Austria and Czechoslovakia. In Asia, the Japanese were seizing China province by province. And so, on a cold winter's day, on behalf of those fighting a losing battle in the Spanish Civil War to save democracy, Pete Seeger was passing out leaflets to a largely indifferent student body. That spring, not even bothering to sit for his sophomore exams, he left Harvard. A tireless supporter of union organizing in the 30s and 40s, Pete traveled the country singing in his enthusiastic tenor and playing banjo to fire up the crowd. He met Woody Guthrie and later Woody's son Arlo. They became lifelong colleagues and friends. In 1939, he met Toshi Ota, the progressive daughter of a Virginia mother and a Japanese father who would become a filmmaker, producer, and activist. Pete and Toshi married and astonishingly remained married until Toshi died this past July. On the eve of World War II, Pete Seeger became a leading voice of the peace movement. But after Pearl Harbor in 1942, he was drafted into the army and shipped out to the South Pacific where he disassembled airplane engines and played his banjo. A beautiful photo from Saipan shows him surrounded by kids singing along. Pete was also responsible for hospital entertainment, giving wounded soldiers courage in their recuperation. He came to believe, he said, that songs could also encourage collective action that could demand and achieve political change and make the world a better place. Songs, he said, can help this world survive. In 1945, as the driving force behind people's songs, an informal association to encourage the creation and spread of radical protest songs. He wrote, the people are on the march and must have songs to sing. Pete wanted to have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of union choruses, he said, just as every church has a choir, why not every union? Now the truth must assert itself in many singing voices. In 1949, Pete and Toshi bought 17 and a half acres in Beacon, New York, overlooking the Hudson River, an hour and a half north of the city. Pete went to the public library to find instructions on how to build a log cabin. They did, and raised their four children there and lived there for the rest of their lives. Also that year, he teamed up with Ronnie Gilbert, Lee Hayes, and Fred Hellerman to form The Weavers. During Christmas week, they opened at the Village Vanguard in Greenwich Village. Their first hit was If I Had a Hammer. Time Magazine called the foursome the most imitated group in the business. And then came the House Un-American Activities Committee, before which Pete made a historic appearance. He and the Weavers were blacklisted. It was a very dark time. In the spring of 1962, finally out from under the shadow of Republican Senator Joseph McCarthy's Red Scare, Pete joined in demonstrations against nuclear testing and sang at summer camps and colleges. 
a new generation of folk singers, Joan Baez, Peter, Paul, and Mary, and Bob Dylan, among many others, burst onto the scene. And where have all the flowers gone? A lyrical plea for nonviolence, which Pete set to lyrics from a Ukrainian folk song, reached the top 40 on the charts. Time Magazine, again, called Pete the current patriarch of folk singing. Pete met and befriended Dr. King and lent his voice to the struggle for civil rights, inspiring black people and white people alike to work for racial equality. With Zelfia Horton and Guy Carawan of the Highlander School in Tennessee, he adapted an old hymn until it became the song we know today as We Shall Overcome. In 1964, Pete arrived in Mississippi just as reports that the three student nonviolent coordinating committee volunteers, Michael Schwerner, Andrew Goodman, and James Cheney, were missing. He was in the midst of performance when the word came that the boys were dead. Suddenly, the concert became a funeral. Oh, healing river. Pete Seeger sang, send down your water upon this land. Send down your water and wash the blood from off our sand. He closed the concert by exhorting the grieving audience, we must sing, we shall overcome now. The three boys would not have wanted us to weep, but to sing and understand that song. Back in the South in the summer of 1965, marching from Selma to Montgomery, Pete wandered from one group to another along about Alabama's Route 80, listening to new songs, learning different voices to old hymns. Without all those songs, he said, the civil rights movement would not have succeeded. And then came Vietnam. Pete fanned the flames of resistance to the war, singing, if you love your Uncle Sam, support our boys in Vietnam, bring them home, bring them home. And we're waist deep in the big muddy, and the big fool says to push on. In 1963, Pete had read Rachel Carson's great Silent Spring and realized, he said, it might be that before we bomb each other off the face of the earth, we may poison each other off the face of the earth. Pete turned his attention to the river that flowed past his home, the once mighty Hudson, reduced to a murky brown sludge of chemical waste and sewage. I'd always been a nature nut, Pete said. Age 15 and 16, I put all that behind me, figuring the main job to do was to help the meek inherit the earth, assuming that when they did, the foolishness of the private profit system would be put to an end. In the early 60s, I realized the world was being turned into a poisonous garbage dump. By the time the meek inherited it, it might not be worth inheriting. Pete and friends raised $140,000 and built a replica of a 19th century sloop, 106 feet long with a 108-foot tall, tall mast. And on May 17, 1969, the Clearwater was christened and set sail up and down the Hudson, raising awareness and money at waterfront concerts. 
Pete saw the Hudson as an emblem of some of the failures of our democracy, Robert Kennedy Jr. said, referring to the fact that it had become a corporate dumping ground. But, he continued, he always pointed out that the Constitution of New York said that the Hudson was owned by the people of New York. He used to say, the Hudson River belongs to all of us. By 1986, people were fishing and swimming in the Hudson again. In 1994, the New York Times reported that the river had been brought back from the brink. You see, said Pete, you try to clean up a river, and soon you have to work on cleaning up the whole society. Pete Seeger revived American folk music, what he called the sound of America, and knew that hearing it was not enough. We had to sing along, to be the medium and embody the message until I became we. His influence is everywhere in progressive causes, the labor movement of the 30s, the peace movement on the eve of World War II, the civil rights and anti-war movements of the 1960s, and the crusade for clean water, all bear the mark of his songs, which moved his audiences to action and gave us courage. Peter Yarrow of Peter, Paul, and Mary said, Pete paved the way by using his music to create community and the kind of hard spirit that really became the soundtrack of activism in the 1960s and 70s. The spirit of it really, really was different from pop music. The people who sang this music were expected to be there and put their lives, their hearts, their time on the line for the things that they believed in. Mary Travers used to call their trio Seeger's Raiders. Pete received Lifetime Achievement Awards too numerous to name, but they do not tell the story of his legacy. At its heart, Pete's message to activists everywhere was never give up. We shall overcome. Pete Seeger, presente. <laughs>